cleared for takeoff. If they check the, if they have back vaccines, then I think it's okay. Major changes for international travel that make it easier to fly. Cross-examination drama at the Amanda Todd sexploitation and harassment trial. What it says about the case against Aiden Colbin. And BC Liberals look to unload some baggage. We need to make sure that we are doing a, a renewal exercise that has substance. Why the party is considering a name change. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Big changes are coming on both sides of the border that will remove some of the pandemic-related hassle and some of the cost from international air travel. Ahmad Agahi is live at YVR for us right now. Uh, Ahmad, what kind of details do travelers need to know and when do these changes go into effect? Well, well, as you said, changes to the testing requirements coming to airports on both sides of the border. These are changes that are not only a site for sore eyes within the tourism industry, within airline industry, but also they're expected to make travel uh, much quicker for everyone. 18 months after it was implemented, a major travel requirement for flying into the United States is now deemed no longer necessary. It's been confusing for a lot of people. It's also been costly and it's been kind of cumbersome and a, and a, and a hassle. Starting this Sunday, fully vaccinated travelers can board a U.S.-bound airplane without the previously required negative COVID-19 test. This move by the Biden administration already applauded by airlines and U.S. tourism groups now backed by the Center for Disease Control. It's expected the CDC will reevaluate every 90 days and could reinstate the testing requirement if a new COVID-19 variant were to emerge. I trust this administration. I, I voted for this administration, so uh, I believe they've got the best and brightest minds working at this. For some travelers at home, this may be exactly what they have been waiting for before committing to upcoming vacations. It's always been kind of hanging over travelers' heads, whether you're traveling for business or for for personal reasons, going on a vacation. But for a family, you know, it costs anywhere about the 50 to $100 mark for an antigen test. And when you multiply that by four people or five people, it adds up. Uh, and also the worry if one of the people do test positive and what happens, do the rest of the people go or not? While others say skipping the COVID test before flying home will also make leaving the country to come to places like Canada easier. Uh, I'm excited. I travel to Canada a lot and uh, happy to not have to take a test before I go home don't have to take one to get here so that makes sense i think that's fine as long as they make sure people are vaccinated they have lifted um covid test for canada so i i i think it will be just if they check the if they have back vaccines then i think it's okay friday changes were announced on this side of the border as well with the canadian government set to pause mandatory random testing at all airports and Chris, a little bit more about that Canadian travel news. The lifting of the random COVID-19 testing on our soil starts tomorrow, and it is only for those fully vaccinated. All right. Thanks for the details. That's Amada Gahi reporting live for us at YVR. A new survey of Canadians has found British Columbians top the list when it comes to dissatisfaction with accessing government services. The poll was done by the Angus Reid Institute, and it follows a string of global news stories about people experiencing long and frustrating waits 
for passports and other paperwork. The survey found more than half, 56% of respondents in B.C. were dissatisfied with their experience in accessing federal services, more than 10 points higher than the national average. It's a different story when it comes to accessing provincial and municipal services with approval rates of 72 and 68 percent, respectively. The B.C. Liberals are set to vote on changing their party name this weekend. Party members are gathering in Penticton with the possible rebrand expected to be a hot topic. The party isn't sure what they would choose as a new name, but as Richard Zussman shows us, there are some limitations. More than 636,000 people cast a vote for B.C. Liberals in 2020. Next time British Columbians vote, that party name may not even be on the ballot. We're a party that wants to bring in more young people. Uh, and in order to do that, we need to make sure that we are doing a, a renewal exercise that has substance. Hundreds of B.C. Liberals are in Penticton this weekend for the party's convention. Members will be voting on whether the party should take the next step towards a name change. A change new leader Kevin Falcon is pushing for. This is about making sure we are a big tent party that is going to be diverse, exciting and pragmatic about making sure we get BC back on the right track. Some argue the current name hurts the party among conservative voters and has allowed for the BC conservatives to pick up some traction. While others argue liberal actually helps with centrist voters in Metro Vancouver. What problem are you trying to solve? Whatever it is, a name change and slapping a new coat of paint on the party isn't what's going to fix it. They have to actually focus on reaching a new generation of voters. The challenge now, finding a name that works. Elections BC has very strict rules. The BC Conservative Party, that name is already registered. So is the Social Credit Party of British Columbia. The one name the party likes, the BC Party, that one is also out of the picture. Elections BC is resisting our, our effort to be able to utilize that name for a number of technical reasons, which I don't need to go into. Uh, I think it would have been a very good possible name. The British Columbia Party was deregistered in November of 2020 after the last provincial general election. And under the Election Act, that name is no longer um, eligible for um, registration um, for a period of 10 years except if the party itself wishes to re-register itself. Any formal request for a name change would have to go through Elections BC. Until then, the party members will need to decide what really is in a name. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, for more on this, let's bring in Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, why don't you give us a look at some of the other names registered in the last 10 years that are now off the table for whatever the BC Liberals end up being? Yeah, I'm going to show you some of the names. Not going to show them quite the way Richard showed. That was very creative, pushing those <laughs> names off True. the table. Uh, but those are not the only names that are not going to be allowed to be used if the name change goes through. So here's a list of about 15 parties. And some of them are whimsical, but some of them are quite serious names. So the BC parties, Richard mentioned. Also, BC Action, BC Vision, BC Citizens First, BC Progressive, uh, BC Excalibur, uh, Excalibur, which is a bit odd, BC Patriot, BC First. And you see the list goes on and on and on, about 15 
uh, names there have uh, parties have fielded candidates from time to time over the last few elections. It's a 10-year uh, window here, so the BC Liberals are going to have to be creative. And it's not just dropping BC out of your name. You can't really uh, sort of have uh, sort of sh different versions of a name that's been r registered before. So they're going to have to be pretty creative, but it's a long process. They're going to vote on it today or, or on this weekend. And then uh, if it does go through, it's going to be put to a vote for all 45,000 members of the party, referendum of sorts, and some creativity will be brought into the process. And we'll see what they come up with if that vote goes through this weekend. All right. We'll be watching. Thanks very much, Keith. Flooding on the Sumas Prairie devastated the community last March, and on Monday, a new hybrid flood mitigation plan will be presented to Abbotsford City Council. Did I say March? I meant November. It combines aspects of the four options set out back in April, and as Aaron MacArthur reports, what's still to be unveiled is the expected cost for the project and how long the work will take. In April... Carl Mayer was told some of his land was going to be on the wrong side of flood protection. The Abbotsford dairy farmer concerned that parts of his livelihood would be sacrificed to save other people's buildings. At the end of the day, I feel like we're at the mercy of the United States and the Nooksack. Find more information on letstalkabbotsford.ca. The city of Abbotsford put together four options to fix the infrastructure damaged by last November's floods. The options ranged from status quo to $2.3 billion worth of pumps, floodways and new dikes. Friday, staff are proposing council adopt a hybrid of all the options. There will be conflicts of interest for different farmers. The plan will include new relocated dikes along the north side of Highway 1, new dikes through the Sumas Prairie, and a new dike around the Sumas First Nation. The plan also calls for upgrades to the Barrowtown pump station, a new pump station on the Sumas River, and three new smaller pumps designed to move water more effectively. The cost for this hybrid plan? To be determined. In April, Mayor Henry Braun promised senior levels of government would be footing the bill. Friday, the federal government recommitted to $5 billion for rebuilding due to floods with more promised as needed. I'm happy with what's been, been taking place and the flexibility uh, that the federal government has shown in terms of as we deal with some of the challenges of, of building back better. While the new plan will meet provincial standards, it does make compromises on the level of protection offered to the Sumas Prairie. And with no timeline or finalized budget, the infrastructure will likely be insufficient for years to come. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A violent sex offender who lives in Vancouver has been granted more freedom over where he can live. 51-year-old Michael Wayne Carpenter is no longer required to live in a correctional facility or halfway house. The decision by the Parole Board of Canada says Carpenter will instead be living with his intimate partner based on a recommendation from his counsellor. Vancouver police issued a warning about Carpenter when he was first released saying he poses a risk of significant harm to the safety of vulnerable female children, youth, and adults. More evidence presented today at the trial of the Dutch man accused of harassing and extorting B.C. teenager Amanda Todd before she took her own life. Before the submissions, the judge was compelled to warn the jury. And so we're warning you. Romina Dea has the latest on what they saw. 
a warning from Justice Martha Devlin to the jury to prepare themselves. The courtroom silent as graphic videos and photos of 15-year-old Amanda Todd were played. The video screen in the public gallery turned off because of the pornographic content. Amanda's mother in the second row on this heavy day of evidence. I'll admit it's not 100% easy, right, to, to see and to hear all that stuff. But part of me is it needs to be told and it needs to be shared. Returning witness VPD Detective Constable Robin Shook, a digital forensic specialist, questioned by Crown about the graphic content and how it might be linked to a series of web browsers, platforms, websites, and mystery user accounts allegedly used to view, post, and share pornographic images of Amanda. Disturbing posts by the person who created the Austin Cullens profile on Facebook. The user says they went to Westview Secondary, a school Amanda attended in Maple Ridge. User comment, WTF, what's wrong with you? Austin Cullens, I'm doing what Jesus would do. They sent me a video and pictures of Amanda Todd flashing her boobs and rubbing her blank on campsites and that she has even more X-rated videos. Yes, it's hard, but it's, it's needed. Crown's theory, 43-year-old Dutch citizen Aidan Coban is behind 22 fake user accounts used to sextort Amanda into performing pornographic acts online between 2009 and 2012. The content sent to family, classmates and school staff, says Louise Kenworthy. The case comes down to identity. Defense counsel Joseph Sonier telling media earlier in the week he knows the public's out for blood. But there must be proof beyond a reasonable doubt who sent the messages to Amanda. The trial continues Monday. Romina Dea, Global News. A community cupboard designed to help those in need has been destroyed in a senseless act of vandalism. The wooden structure was located outside Surrey's city centre church, attached to a community garden. It functioned as a drop-off spot for donations of food and clothing and a simple way to redistribute those items to people who need them. The church does have surveillance video from the night of Thursday, June 2nd, when the community cupboard was torched and police are now investigating. Almost on a daily basis, it got filled with uh, food parcels and clothing. Uh, and, and it was a well-utilized community cupboard. And uh, then one morning we, we just came here and, and saw the, the, the fact that it was uh, demolished, uh, set alight, uh, which couldn't have been anything else but an act of, of malicious intent. The church is planning to rebuild the cupboard and even expand the program. Some of the largest ships in the BC Ferries fleet will be replaced in the next seven years. BC Ferries has started the process to replace six C-class ships. Queens of Alberni, New Westminster, Coquitlam, Cowichan, Oak Bay and Surrey. The company's hired vessel design firm LMG Marin to provide design and technical support services to help in the procurement process. It'll take about two years and then a builder will be selected. BC Ferries hopes the new ships are expected to be ready by 2029. Fraser Health struggles to get its story straight after the death of a child. It's re-traumatizing over and over and over. The contradictions in a patient care report that a grieving mother just can't accept in just over a minute.
Hey everyone, um, Justin here. Justin Bieber reveals a troubling diagnosis that leads to facial paralysis. What it means for his long-term health, coming up later. And the thrilling new ride making its debut at the PNE this summer. Why, you better hold on tight. That's coming up later as well. But right now, new developments in the heartbreaking story of Jackson Glubis and the search for answers in his death. Jackson's parents have now received both his medical records and Fraser Health's patient care quality review. And as John Waugh reports, the details in those documents don't match up. Go. <laughs> it's hard to imagine feeling anything worse than the tragic and unexpected loss of a child. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can barely make it to work. Chinsia Rossi thought so too, until she read Fraser Health's patient care quality office review into the care Jackson Glubus received at Abbotsford Regional Hospital just before his death. I will be forever heartbroken and disgusted that they come back with, with lies. Hidden on the eight-year-old's brain was a rare tangle of blood vessels. At some point, it ruptured, causing a brain bleed. The question that will forever haunt his parents, did it happen the day they first rushed Jackson to the emergency? It's re-traumatizing over and over and over but Jackson's medical records from that December 27th visit don't seem to match the details of the internal review. In the latter, it states from the time he came into the hospital to his assessment, Jackson's headache went away. In the doctor's report, says head feels mildly better. I pray every day it was a headache. If it was a headache, my son would be here with me. Rossi says the most hurtful response in the review was about her request for a CT scan that day. Stating upon review of our documents, the doctor gave the option for a CT scan of Jackson's head. And after a fulsome discussion, Jackson's mother and the doctor decided that the CT scan would be postponed. It rips me apart. There was no discussion. There certainly was no option. But in Jackson's medical records, there seems to be no mention of a CT scan at all. Begging the question, what documents did Fraser Health review? to come up with such an elaborate answer. Not only was that response, you know, a gross misrepresentation of events that occurred, they were outright lies. Jackson's malformation and brain bleed were found the next day after he was rushed back to the ER. He died later doing emergency neurosurgery at BC Children's. Even though he's not here with us anymore, this is a disrespectful response. Fraser Health still refusing to discuss his case on camera, despite his parents' written consent to do so. But behind the scenes, many attention has brought the issue all the way up to CEO Dr. Victoria Lee, who reached out directly to the family. This was not an investigation for truth and transparency. This was a cover-up. Rossi asks, how is anyone supposed to have faith in a process that's willing to put the blame back on a grieving mother for making a choice about her beloved Jackson? She knows in her heart she never had. John Hua, Global News. Still ahead, the dream of emissions-free mining. Uh, we set the objective of getting to net zero by 2035. A BC copper operation goes green with a way better way to move heavy loads. And stunning testimony at the January 6th hearing showing even his closest circle 
knew Donald Trump was wrong. Good evening. Traffic is eased off on most of the major routes, and no exception. You're in great shape both ways at both Granville and Burrard Street Bridge, and just a little slow southbound at the south end of the Camby Street Bridge. Henry Meyer is out. Shop deals on cap. Shop deals on cameras, lenses, accessories, and receive a voucher of up to $100 to use in July. Shop more, get more with Henry's. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One above the downtown bridges. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. A powerful primetime presentation brought the January 6th riots at the U.S. Capitol back into the spotlight. The committee investigating the incident laid out evidence that attempts to put former President Donald Trump right at the center. Several more hearings are planned, but it remains to be seen what action, if any, will be taken when this wraps up in the fall. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. January 6th was the culmination of an attempted coup. And with that, a year-long investigation was thrust into the public sphere, seeking to link the former president and his lies about an election to the chaos that unfolded. Donald Trump tweeted, but he did not condemn the attack. Instead, he justified it. There was a deliberate attempt to prove Donald Trump was alone in his efforts to remain in power using depositions of administration officials who went against the narrative. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen. A powerful timeline highlighted a clear and present danger. There's probably about 300 uh, Proud Boys, they're marching eastbound. Witnesses wove in the actions of far-right groups, though it's unclear if the committee can or will tie the militias to Donald Trump. With at least six more hearings scheduled, the committee hopes that it will spark the Department of Justice to step in. We're not a criminal committee. We're investigating the facts. But if DOJ looks at what we're doing and said that reaches a threshold to charge, I think they should. And I think that's what I hope they at least look at. Part of that thinking is connected to Republican pushback, many of whom have stood in the way of the investigation that Democrats now claim was for a reason. There were members of Congress seeking proactive presidential pardons for their involvement in these events. That's an extraordinary statement. And ahead of a final report due later this fall, the committee says that they intend to show there was intent by Donald Trump, saying that he lit a fuse that whipped up his base, some of whom are on video, saying that they arrived at the U.S. Capitol at the request of Donald Trump. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. A huge copper mine south of Princeton has become the first in Canada to take steps to drastically reduce its use of fossil fuels and its greenhouse gas emissions. As Paul Johnson shows us, the changes take a page from some city bus services that date back decades. Check out this drag race. The truck on the right is a conventional mining haul truck. But take a close look at the one on the left and notice the bars connecting to an overhead power line. You're looking at a first in Canada innovation that's possibly the start of something big. Roughly 70% of our GHGs are from haul truck diesel consumption. When Princeton's Copper Mountain Mine set out on its project to become a net zero emitter of greenhouse gases, 
it was clear the biggest place to cut was in those massive trucks that carry out the rocks. On just this one stretch alone, each truck burns 35 liters of diesel. They had the vision to make a change. Walt Halpachuk was the project mastermind. Why not string an electric trolley-type cable along the route and modify the diesel-electric trucks to get most of their power from the line? Now, instead of burning 35 liters, they can do the same distance on less than a liter. And as you can see, they can actually move faster. So the trolley system that they have running right now covers about a kilometer of the mine. Now, if this works out as planned, they hope to expand it to cover three or four kilometers, allowing for an even greater reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't have a query from another mine around the world. So not only is this system scalable at Copper Mountain, but an innovation like this could spread elsewhere. In BC, where mining is the province's number two sector, that's no small change. You can imagine Halpachuk's reaction when it went live a few weeks ago. I was, I was elated. For me, it was like Christmas and getting a, uh, an electric road race set, except this one was, uh, was much bigger and used a lot more power. In Princeton, Paul Johnson, Global News. And coming up, Justin Bieber's health shocker. I wanted to update you guys on what's been going on. The infection that'll keep him from performing indefinitely. Plus, cultural kickflips and a whole lot more at a major skateboarding event in Langley this weekend. We've got the details coming up. Friday evening commute winds down over here at the Patello Bridge. Traffic is in pretty decent shape. No delays northbound out of Surrey and just minor congestion, just pockets of volume southbound down the McBride, down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $43 million. Lotto Max drained to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. As you can see, this eye is not blinking. I can't smile on this side of my face. This nostril will not move. So there's full paralysis in this side of my face. Fans of Canadian superstar Justin Bieber stunned today with that surprise announcement from the singer about his health. Bieber posted on Instagram that he's been diagnosed with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, a virus that's left him with a form of facial paralysis. He says that's why he's canceling concerts. So for those who are frustrated by my cancellations of the next shows, um, I'm just physically obviously not <laughs> capable of doing them. Uh, this is pretty serious, as you can see. Um, I wish this wasn't the case, but obviously my body's telling me I got to slow down. And um, I hope you guys understand. And... Uh, I'll be using this time to just rest and relax and get back to 100% so that I can um, do what uh, I was born to do. But in the meantime... Bieber says he's doing facial exercises to help with the paralysis, but he's unsure how long it will take to recover. 
In health matters tonight, Canada could soon be the first country in the world to require health warnings on individual cigarettes. Canada has had prominent health warnings on cigarette packages since 2001, but Ottawa now wants warnings on each cigarette. The federal addictions minister says the new rules are meant to reach more people, including young people who often share cigarettes and don't see the packaging. There will also be expanded warnings on the packaging. A 75-day consultation period begins Saturday with the changes possibly taking effect in late 2023. Just ahead, what's shaping up to be a pretty rad weekend. A first-of-its-kind pro skateboarding event at Langley Events Centre. And in sports, a preview of the BC Lions home opener this weekend and high hopes for a successful season. Attention consumers, having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies, help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. Just in time for some summer fun, a new thrill ride is coming to Playland next month. The Skybender ride was designed by renowned Italian ride designer Zamperla. Playland says it'll feature a thrilling combination of gravity drops and accelerations and a spectacular light show and dynamic action sequences. Both the Music Express and Crazy Beach Party are being retired to make way for it. The wooden roller coaster will also reopen in July after a million dollar refurbishment. The theme park reopens for the summer season June 18th. Cannot wait to eat some corn dogs and ride the rides that aren't too crazy like the roller coaster. All right, there is uh, Christy now. Thankfully, that little bit of atmospheric river we had didn't seem to last too long, and it was beautiful out there today. Absolutely, Chris. And by the way, I would say that the roller coaster is a bit crazy, in my opinion. But yeah, the <laughs> rain has come back. And yeah, we saw a nice little, nice little break today. Thankfully, that atmospheric river dropped south of us. I wanted to show you with the last 24 hours of that atmospheric river, really targeting the region on Thursday, yesterday, and then today dropped south. Oregon, Washington getting hammered by it right now. We've just had uh, some breaks and now a little bit of rain right now. Uh, there is sort of this curl, this finger, though, across northern B.C. that is impacting those regions and that I will talk about in a second but there's the rain pushing into our area it's not going to last too long don't worry about your weekend we've got some sunshine in store for you but we do have this sort of finger of rain that's been pummeling that Liard River area which is still under a flood warning and we are expecting some flooding in that area uh, into the weekend so we'll be tracking that area but most other regions or all other regions I should say we have had no change in terms of the BC River Forecast Center concern so at this point no other flooding uh, is possible. Now, as we head into tomorrow, we have a 40% chance of showers in the morning with mainly cloudy skies, but it breaks up in the afternoon. So expect more sunshine towards the end of the day. Although those of you in the Caribou Central Interior, you do have a risk of thunderstorms. So keep your eye on the sky tomorrow afternoon. Now for the Southern Interior, though, a terrific day with highs ranging from low to mid 20s. Sunshine expected for you. And we'll see some sunshine as well. But in through the morning hours, some cloud cover, 40% chance of showers and in the afternoon we still have a very slight chance of a passing shower but overall pretty nice later in the day uh, a Saturday afternoon with a high of 20 degrees. Tonight's central windows weather window is a very cute one coming out of the Rosedale area in uh, right near Chilliwack and this is from Ian Sparks. Uh, he captured four 
gorgeous little baby bears coming Aww. down a tree. They almost look like ants on that tree. They're so tiny uh, from far away. But uh, he joked in his email to me because he's in Sparks of the Sparks uh, at Chilliwack corn. And he said that those are future corn connoisseurs in Chilliwack. <laughs> no doubt. They are so cute. Very good climbers. Thanks very much for that, Christy. Mm -hmm. All right, it is the first of its kind in the province, an Indigenous-hosted pro skateboarding competition. The Seven Generations Cup kicked off today in Langley, featuring a mix of events and some surprises. As Kylie Stan reports, it's where skateboarding meets Indigenous culture. It may look easy. The kickflips, the rail slides, and everything in between. But there's a lot of struggle, sometimes pain, most importantly, perseverance behind every trick. Something the Generation Skateboard Society knows all too well. There's so many similarities between Indigenous and skateboarding. The Seven Generations Cup is making history, debuting as the first Indigenous-hosted pro skateboard event in BC. The name inspired by the Kwantlen First Nation's Seven Laws of Life. So it's health, happiness, humbleness, generations, generosity, forgiveness, and understanding. In this kind of event, we're kind of bringing it all together with all of the, all of the athletes. Super excited, I can't wait. Over the course of the three-day event, there will be trick battles, an all-terrain contest, a freestyle cup, and mini ramp challenge, featuring some of the most celebrated legends in the sport. Became the best in Canada by the late 70s, uh, turned pro in 1982. But that's not the only draw. There's a huge emphasis on Indigenous culture, with vendors, dancers and drumming, as well as ceremony. All of it reflected on the course. The canoe like built out in the street courses is absolutely like one of a kind. As is every skater here, inclusivity is at the forefront of the event, ensuring those with disabilities can participate and gender equity is honoured. Taking up space, you know, because the more space that we take up, the more is created for us, you know. Skateboarding, like the indigenous culture, welcomes everyone with open arms. Seeing it come together for the first time, like landing a trick, while emotional. It's hard for me to, to express. It's incredibly rewarding. It means a lot to me to showcase that. That really, for me, is what this is about. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Man, that is passion. Great to see it, and uh, good luck to everybody competing at that event. Squire joins That's us true. now with sports. A lot of passion at BC Place last night, too. Well, especially from number 19. It was a big game for Alfonso Davies last night for Canada. Davies inside the area. Good overlap by Lorenz and Davies. That's an excellent team. Two goals in his return to BC Place, and he also showed a lot of love for the fans after the game, too. He'll tell you all about it. Look forward to that. Also tonight, satellite debris. Ah, someone wants to play. He's trying to keep up with the old guy, you know? Dude, is that your real hair? Sometimes standing in front of a green screen, it can seem like there's a tear in the space-time continuum. 
But well, Squire is going to handle it. Well, this is what makes the weather people so impressive. If you're standing where I'm standing, which is where the weather people stand, it looks like this is on this side of you. <laughs> but it's actually on this side of you, which doesn't make much sense, except to you at home. Uh, and speaking of that, I love this picture from last night. You can see Alfonso Davies right there taking pictures with fans after Canada beat Curacao 4 nothing at BC Place. We all knew that Canada would be able to handle this team fairly easily, but we did see pretty much a World Cup lineup, and we did see Alfonso put on a show. He scored two goals, but this was after the game. Look at him there, signing flags, and he did this for quite a while. This wasn't just like one minute and I'm out. He took pictures, he signed jerseys, he signed flags. He, uh, he definitely gave the fans their money's worth in more ways than one. That's the first goal, was on a penalty kick. This is the second goal he scored. Nice give and go with Richie Larea. So 4 nothing the final. Canada plays in Honduras on Monday, and then they go back to their respective teams, and they'll get together again in September. The uh, Lions are ready to start the season tomorrow night against Edmonton. That game is at home, 7 o'clock. You can hear it on uh, AM 730 with the pregame show starting an hour before. Now, we, of course, talked earlier this week about Nathan Rourke starting the year as QB number one. But you might remember that he actually started the first game last season, too. It's just that nobody thought he would start. He had to because Mike Riley's elbow was too sore. Ever since he was named the starter for the Lions back in January, Nathan Rourke has been looking forward to this moment. Months of off-season workouts, then training camp, then preseason. The build-up is over, and now he gets to show everyone what he's got. A moment that could overwhelm a young quarterback, but not Rourke, whose poise and maturity is obvious even in just his second pro season. Ultimately, you want to get to a quiet mind, so you just go out there and play. But to do that, you got to do your due diligence and preparation, right? And so that still continues to today. It was continue until I get to the stadium tomorrow and just kind of understanding the game plan, what we're trying to do, and then trying to understand the best I can what they're trying to do as well. As for the head coach, how does he prepare the young man? Perhaps put his arm around the kid, give him some words of wisdom for this momentous occasion. No, I think that would be a coach screwing a guy up personally. So it's um, I, the thing I like about him is he knows he knows it's a big deal and it's important. But at the same time, he's a very grounded person that knows his self worth isn't tied to a football game. So there's that. They, those the good guys have that balance in their lives, and I think he has that. Rourke with three receivers to his right. Now he's going to look down the field. A deep shot. Look at the ride that he's got him. A perfect scenario would be for Rourke to light BC Place up with some fireworks, run for a touchdown or two, throw a few long bombs to his receivers. That would be great, but not absolutely necessary. We're just worried about execution. We're not worried about dazzling the fans, right? That We know that if we stick to our game plan and we stick to executing, um, those plays are going to come. And we've got, you know, absolutely some great playmakers out there. And, and I, I just got to be able to, you know, really fit into my role as a distributor and, and make sure that that's going to happen. He's just so consistent, which I think that a lot of really good quarterbacks are that way, is that they show up to work every day. And he's been, uh, been no different every day. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him gain experience as he has, as the weeks go by, and I think he'll do a lot of good things for us. The big names who didn't run off to the Live Tour are at the Canadian Open. One of the reasons this course, St. George, is just outside of Toronto, really will give them good prep for the U.S. Open that's coming up. That's Adam Hadwin. Long eagle putt in the ninth, finished that one under par. He made the cut. Corey Connors, another Canadian, approach shot on the 10th. 
to about, oh, I don't know, a couple of yards away, six feet, made birdie, even par, made the cut. The other Abbotsford guy, Nick Taylor, this is on a par three. 34-year-old We'll put this one close enough to make the birdie. He actually got it down to minus four. Then he had a couple of bogeys coming in, so he's two under, but he is tied for 21st. Uh, six Canadians made the cut, including Surrey's Adams Fenson and Mackenzie Hughes. Uh, Rory McIlroy is the last guy to win a Canadian Open because there hasn't been one since 2019, so he is a defending champ, technically. Makes a long birdie here, tied for second at six under. Could win it again this year if he has a good weekend. Wyndham Clark is still the leader at seven under par. And women's U18 hockey from Wisconsin, Canada and Slovakia in the quarters. Canada outshot Slovakia 65 to 5. 65 to 5, and they won the game 7 0. Alyssa Rigaldo with a goal there. Carol Prefontaine with a goal as well. So 7 0 the final. Canada's next game will be Sunday against Finland in the semis. There you go. Awesome. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. We'll be back with Satellite Debris next. All right, we're heading into the weekend. Let's wrap it up with Satellite Debris, Squire. Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll start with two commercials from Geico. The first using the word, or actually, really, is it a word? Bro? Anyway, they use <laughs> sure. that three-letter word in a lot of things, and also one that has to do with Picasso. <laughs> Check this out, bro. What's that, bro, Him? I switched to Geico and got more. More savings on car insurance? Yeah, professor, and more, like renter's insurance. More ways to save. Nice, bro tater chip. That's not all protein shake. Geico has motorcycle and RV insurance, too. Ooh, that's a lot more. Oh, yeah. I'm all about more Teddy Roosevelt. Geico, expect great savings and a whole lot more. 15 minutes could save you 15% or huh. more. Did you know that 15 minutes can save you 15% or more in car insurance? Everybody knows that. Oh. Well, did you also know that Picasso was a terrible plastic surgeon? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Uh, that's, that's borderline needed a warning, I think. <laughs> well, have you seen Picasso's paintings? That's true. Those are his paintings. Come to life, kind of. But it was all CGI, of course. Okay. Of course. This, um, this one ran a couple of years ago from Nike. I was just reminded of this commercial because Rory and Tiger were two of the big-name players who refused to go to the new golf tour. So they are together in this. Any questions? Hmm. Not bad, not bad. Oh, it's gonna be like that, huh? Ah, someone wants to play. He's trying to keep up with the old guy, you know? Dude, is that your real hair? Is that all you got? Go, go. I just can't miss today. Do you ever get days like that? Hey, Tiger, Tiger, you looking? You looking? 
People will say it's fake, Squire. That one? <laughs> oh, no, that was no CGI. Totally it real. It's all done. Uh, okay, this uh, last one for iced coffee. I think it's Dare. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Iced coffee. Here you go. G'day, mate. <laughs> Mr. Murray, have you decided on a name? We're thinking Callum. <laughs> this is Callum Murray. Calamari to the seafood aisle. Calamari. Why'd they name you that? <laughs> I take you. Calamari. <laughs> Let's make it Jack. Drink it through with Dare Ice Coffee. I was right, it was Dare. <laughs> and the perfect segue, correct? It really is, because we before we go tonight, we have some exciting baby news. Our NewsHour tech... Jeff, who's the guy who controls all the robotic cameras and very often builds graphics in behind us, has welcomed a baby boy with his wife, Viviana. Baby Louie, it might be Louis, was born at 8.30 this morning. I'm not sure. Jeff, text me and tell me how you're going to say that. Weighing 8 pounds, measuring 54 centimeters long, both mom and baby are doing well, and his big sister, Ophelia, does not want to leave Louie's side. So congratulations to Jeff and his family. Look at that angelic face, which oddly enough is what we mm. say to Jeff around here when we see him. He <laughs> looks younger than his years, but our best to the family and to you yeah. for watching. Yeah, thanks very much, everybody. Have a great weekend. Congratulations, Jeff. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.